Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about being empowered by the Spirit. This will be lesson two, empowered by the Spirit. What moves you? What lights your fire? What equips your life? It should be power from on high. Amen. Not political powers, not intellectual powers, not military forces, but by the power of the Most High God. Just a quick review. Let's read, first of all, Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. Then we'll give you a quick review if you weren't here with us last week. The Apostle Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Now Paul is praying for this church. He's praying for these believers at Ephesus. And what is desire is, is that be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Okay. Last week we talked about God's work is a supernatural work that requires supernatural power. And that the work that needs to be done is not going to be done any other way. As a matter of fact, I believe every church should be filled with supernatural power. Individuals that are filled with supernatural power as well as the whole church body believing in the very power of Almighty God that raised up Jesus from the dead and that glory to manifest every time we meet together in various ways and manifestations. Secondly, we said the apostles or the disciples, they were endued with power from on high and they were instructed not even to step out in the ministry until they were. Think about that. They walked with Jesus for three and a half years, but he said that's not sufficient, that's not enough. You need to receive the endowment of power from on high that will enable you to succeed in carrying out the purpose that I have for your life, is what he told them. And so they were endued with power from on high. On the and were they not transformed individuals? Absolutely, they were transformed, empowered by the Spirit. Number three, we gave the illustration of Samson. And Samson is an individual that reveals to us the difference between being endued with power from on high and not being endued with power from on high. Imagine what he did when he had the power of God manifesting in and through his life. One man can kill a thousand soldiers with the jawbone of a mule. Just one man, a thousand to one, and he beat them all when you're empowered by the hand of God. But then when he had his hair cut and he fell victim, what happened? He was left blind, bound, and grinding at the mill of his enemy. What a difference between the two. So if you had your option, if you had your choice, would you rather have the long hair or the shaved head? Would you have the power of God or just your own natural powers to depend on. We need the power of God. As we continue our study, notice Paul knew something about the need for the body of Christ. 
He prayed that they would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That the power of God on the inside would manifest in and through their lives that would equip them and enable them to do the work that God called them to do. So that was his prayer. He knew that they would need this power to resist temptation. He knew they would need this power to bear up under any trials that would come their way. They would need that same mighty power to perform the duties that God called them to do. They would need that power without question to live the life, a sanctified life that God had called them to live and called all of us to live. A set-apart life, a sanctified life, a holy life, set apart for holy purposes. But once again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So, in our study, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3, because in that same chapter, this is where he concluded his prayer. Notice what he said. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, but all that we ask or think, how? According to the power. According to the power that worketh in us. This power, this dunamis, this miracle working power, this power from on high that comes from above. No earthly power, no mental power, no physical power, no military power, no political power. This is power that can only come from one source, and that's the throne of Almighty God into the life of a believer that works efficiently and effectively in the life of a believer will enable him or empower him to live a sanctified life and carry out the purpose that God has for his life. And so that's what he prayed for. And not just for the church at Ephesus. Look at Colossians chapter 1. It's the same type of prayer. A similar prayer. For this cause we also since the day we heard it. Do not cease to pray for you. And desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will. And all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you might walk worthy of the Lord. Notice Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. How are we strengthened? According to his glorious power. He is talking about a deposit that he has made in the life of a born-again, spiritual believer. It's the power that comes from the very throne of Almighty God. It's a power from on high that explodes in our lives by the Holy Spirit as we surrender our hearts and will to God. And why? So that we can walk worthy of the, of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. This is His time to manifest Himself upon the earth. Jesus said it's expedient or profitable or beneficial for you all that I go away and send him. Because when he comes, he is going to shake the place. He's going to turn the place right side up. He's going to manifest himself in various and powerful ways with the goal in mind of bringing people into the kingdom of God. Let us never forget and take our eyes off the fact that God more than anything else is looking for the salvation of mankind. He wants those that are out there that are lost to come into the family of God by the blood of the Lamb. He wants to set them free and get them saved. Now, in 2 Timothy, look at these verses here. This is the thrust of our ministry tonight. He wants vessels of honor that he can use, that he can fill with his power, those he can trust with that power, so that that power can manifest through their lives individually, and collectively as a church body. Do you realize that 
the more we individually take this to heart, the greater the glory collectively among us. Do you remember in 2 Chronicles 5, 11 through 14, where it talks about how they came together, they were set apart, first of all, for a holy purpose. They were secondly clothed in white linen, means their hearts were pure, their motives were pure before God when they gathered together. And then they were in unity, they were united together as one. Those three things, set apart or sanctified, purified, unified, and then all they did was say, the Lord is good and his mercies endure forever. And the place was filled with the cloud so that no one could stand by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord appeared in the house of God. That's the divine presence. Isn't that the longing of our souls? Isn't that what our desire is? That when we gather together like this, that praise God, he shows up and manifests his presence among us. When every individual heart will be that set apart, sanctified, pure, right heart motives and desires. And then we all unite together as one. That should be commonplace among us. That should be commonplace among us. That the glory of the Lord is seen among us. Hallelujah. As God manifests his presence. Now in these verses. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that names the name of Christ. Depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. But also the wooden of earth. And some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work notice the word vessel what kind of a vessel do we want to be individually and collectively a vessel is talking about like a jar a jar he's using it figuratively to talk about the individual's and also a church body. So what kind of vessel do we want to be? Everyone is a vessel or a container. But as he said, we can be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. Anybody here want to be a vessel of honor tonight? What about the rest of you? We want to be a vessel of honor tonight, don't we? Individually and collectively. I want you to notice here in Acts chapter 9, this is something that Jesus made clear. Uh, uh, to, to all the people that were questioning what he was doing with Paul. But notice this. But the Lord said unto him, this is Saul, after he saw Jesus became Paul, the apostle. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. See, he's talking about an individual being a vessel. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So here we have Paul being a vessel that would bear the name of Jesus to kings and to the people of Israel. Even though he would suffer persecution for doing so. But he was God's chosen vessel. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have, hallelujah, we have this treasure. 
Do you have this treasure tonight? You have it in an earthen vessel or a jar of clay, as one translation says, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Glory to God. Don't you want to exchange your power for his power? So we have this treasure, something to treasure, to value highly. But where is it? It's in this jar of clay. It's on the inside of each and every one of us. Remember, he's talking to a spirit-filled people. We've been born again, which means the vessel has been cleansed. The temple has been cleansed. We've been spirit-filled, endued with power from on high. The glory has made its way into our vessel on the inside. It's on the inside. We're housing the vessel. This treasure. Oh, you talk about a treasure. What a beautiful thing to know that the God of creation, the God who created everything in this world has taken up residency and tabernacled in each and every one of us. We've become the temple of the most high God. His Shekinah glory is no longer housed in churches, church buildings or buildings made synagogues with man's hand or temple, but in human beings like you and me. This is a revelation that probably difficult to wrap our brains around. But God Almighty did a work in every single one of us so much so that he can actually inhabit each and every one of us. And the same Shekinah glory that we see and hear about in the Old Testament that fell upon the sacrifice, the glory that came down is in each and every one of us. We've got this treasure, this glory in an earthen vessel. Hallelujah. So that the power is not of us, but of him. You know, if we ever got our eyes off of self and on the greater one who's in us, it would make a world of difference in every one of our lives. Hallelujah. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see the same thing reiterated. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. In sanctification, notice sanctification and honor. To sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose. It means to consecrate. We all have this vessel. And in the vessel, we have the treasure of God's glory. We've got the anointing. We've got the power of God from on high. Now, there are different types of vessels. Number two, there are different types of vessels. There's the vessel of honor, and there's the vessel of dishonor. We already said we want to be a vessel of honor, but what are those characteristics of this vessel of honor? We've got, first of all, look at 2 Timothy 2.20 once again. This is what it says. But in a great house, great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Number one, we see that, first of all, the first characteristic is this vessel of honor has been known to shun vain babblings to avoid useless speech look at the verses 16 through 18 but shun profane and vain babblings for they will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some look at it in the uh, new living Translation, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer 
as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Now, he's making a powerful point here. We want to house the glory of God. We want to be a vessel of honor. I want to, everywhere I go, encourage someone's faith. I want to build up someone's faith. I want them to, to know, praise God, that the greater one is living in them and that they can fulfill the purpose that God has for their lives. I don't want to get caught up in vain janglings, talking about things that are absolutely meaningless, misrepresenting the truths like these people were. The resurrection's already passed. This has already happened. The million's already been here. Does any of that matter? What it does, it takes a person off the course that God has called them to in their life. It distracts them from being a vessel of honor and proclaiming Jesus. What does that matter if a person is lost? I want to get them into the kingdom of God. I don't want to get someone to walk away from the faith. I want to bring them into the faith. I want them to know Jesus as Savior, Healer, Redeemer, Deliverer, Baptizer with the Holy Ghost and Fire. So we don't want to get involved in all these discussions that are meaningless. And we also want to avoid any kind of foolish speaking, vain speaking, evil speaking. So in other words, a vessel of honor will control his tongue and make sure he speaks truth and speaks the right things. Number two, he departs from iniquity. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That means to remove himself or divorce himself from iniquity or sin. So this is something that the believer does because he wants to be a vessel of honor. He doesn't want to be among those that says, well, you know what grace says, everything's all taken care of. Doesn't matter how I live, doesn't matter what I do. That's not the attitude of a vessel of honor. The vessel of honor says this, he shed his blood for me. He gave his life for me. He laid it all down for me. He did that for me. I owe it to him to do my best, to rise up above the temptations of this world, to set myself apart as a vessel of honor, to carry out his will for my life and stand against sin and anything and everything that he deems evil and rise up above it all. Not in my own strength, because you can't do it, neither can I. But he will enable us and empower us if we so desire. He'll give us the, the means. Look at the next one. Flee youthful lusts. Flee. Run from it as in terror is what that means. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness and faith and charity and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I'm mindful of Joseph whenever I read that verse of Scripture. The Bible says he fled. He got himself out. He ran when Potiphar's wife got a hold of him to try to get him to commit immorality with him. He was one of the Old Testament characters that didn't fall victim to that kind of a maneuver. Did you know that? Samson fell victim. David fell victim. And many others did as well. But not Joseph. Praise God for Joseph. What an example. He rose up and he fled the youthful lust and says, there's no way. I'm not going to sin against my God, number one. I'm not going to sin against Potiphar either. I'm running for it. I get on my shoes, my running shoes, and I'm out the door. And that's what he did. Flee from it. Run from it as in tear. Don't embrace it. Don't try to get away with it, but run from it. Look at the next one. And this one is so important, so, so powerful. 
of a truth. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives. Uh, okay, when did the world come into being? Does it matter? It's here. What do you think about evolution? Does it matter? We're here. We don't want to get off on these tangents that gender strifes and about this and about that and the other thing. And once again, lose our focus and not focus on what's most important. I have my conviction about those things. What about the pre-Adamite age? You know, before Adam, was there a pre-Adamite age? Some say yes and some say no. Should we have a debate on that? Is it going to change anything? No. No. Don't get caught up in anything that gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Let's read that again. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. We stand for truth so that others that are not walking in the truth can repent. Peradventure that they would listen to us. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. This is his snare, his trap. Who are taken captive by him at his will. Did you ever notice when you get caught up in an argument with somebody and strife begins to manifest itself. It just gets a hold of people. It'll get a hold of you more and more and more. It's Satan taking people captive at his will. He has a heyday with that. He absolutely loves to get people in strife and division because he knows where a house is divided, it cannot stand. So let's look at the things that are important, that are relevant, and let's focus on those things. And let tell, let's tell people, praise God, about the love of God so they can learn the truth and walk in the light of it. Number three, the vessel of honor is empowered to live a sanctified life. You're empowered not just to lay hands on the sick, not just to cast out devils, not just for signs, wonders, and miracles that take place through your life. But let me tell you this, I believe the more we fine-tune what it means to be a vessel of honor, the more we'll have an outflowing of the miracle power of God that will do those things. But also we're empowered by the Spirit to live a sanctified, set-apart life, a holy life that God longs to inhabit and show up in and manifest himself through. Now, sanctification really is a threefold thing. It also involves the spirit, the soul, and the body of a person. To understand this, we have to understand the triunity of man. A man is a spirit, he has a soul, he lives in the body. His spirit contacts the spiritual world and conscience is the voice of the spirit. His soul contacts the intellectual, emotional world and reason is the voice of the soul. His body contacts the physical world and feeling is the voice of the body. Spirit, soul, and body. God made him that way and perfect in every way. But when sin entered into the life of a human being, his spirit was separated from God. It was affected by sin and death ruled. His soul became darkened, alienated from God as well. And his mind lost the knowledge of God, the revelation of God, the understanding of God, the ways of God, the moral laws of God. All those things were lost. And then his body became mortal or subject to death. So all three parts of man, man's being was affected by the unholy spirit and the spirit of death. So as a result, of course, 
man was messed up. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Here we have that revealed to us. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely, or entirely. Wholly, completely, or entirely. Notice. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice sanctification deals with every part or every dimension of a man's being. His spirit, his soul, and his body. Now, sanctification is threefold, as I said. Number one, it's positional. Positional. What does that mean? It occurs at the time of regeneration instantly. We have nothing to do with this other than accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. The work of darkness in the spirit or the heart of man was something that man could not correct on his own. There is nothing man can do about it. He would have been lost to eternity had God not done something about it. But thanks be unto God because he sent his son Jesus who took our place and died in our place to reconcile us to the Father. And he made provision for our redemption. Thanks be unto God we can be saved by the grace of God by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Look in the book of Colossians chapter 1 because this is now how God sees those that are born again. You make Christ your Savior. You make him the Lord of your life Positionally speaking, you are sanctified, declared holy in the sight of Almighty God. Nothing that you did to accomplish that. Nothing that. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, to, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say. Whether they be things in heaven, or things uh, in earth rather, or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled, brought into harmony with himself in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy or sanctified, unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You missed a time to shout glory to God by the blood of Jesus that washed you. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees me. We need to renew our minds to that reality. No work, no effort on my part or your part. But all we did was accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we passed out of death into life. We became sons and daughters of the Most High God and our spirit man has been reunited with the very life of God and with God himself. Nothing we could do except accept Christ's sacrifice and make him the Lord of our lives. And so thank God by the blood of the Lamb, you're sanctified in spirit. But then it's also, number two, progressive. This occurs over time. It's not something that takes place instantaneously. This involves something that we do. You and I have a part to play in this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 and then chapter 7 and verse 1. Here is what we have to do. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We look into the mirror of God's word. And by looking into the mirror of God's word we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. How? 
even as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, on the inside, we're sanctified. But on the outside, we're not so sanctified. On the outside, we've got a lot of changes to go through, some transformation to take place. And look at chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice he says, let us do this. Do you notice that word therefore? Does anybody know what it's there for? What does therefore mean? Based on what I just said. Well, Paul, what did you just say? He said, be not equally yoked together with unbelievers. Because really, what agreement do you have with idols or Belial or light with darkness and so on, he said. He said, come out from among them and be separate or sanctified and set apart and I will receive you. I'll be a God to you. I will walk in them. I will dwell in them. I will be there. I will receive them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you know what he was saying? Just let your thoughts run for a little bit. He was saying the goal of redemption is to get us back to a place like it was in the garden. We're in the garden when he would visit Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and he would walk with them and talk with them and discuss whatever they discussed among themselves. He is saying that the person that comes to me and separates himself from those things that would defile him, but makes a decision to live a sanctified, set-apart, and holy life, I will walk in them. I will live in them. It is an invitation to walk as he walked in the garden, to experience that kind of interaction with Almighty God. So having this promise, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So holiness is on the inside. By the blood of Jesus, we're made holy. But now this holiness that's going to manifest through us comes by renewing the mind and doing something with the body. It occurs during our lifetime on earth. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It occurs during our lifetime on earth. So we could say this, sanctification is positional, but it's now also progressive and practical. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy or sanctified, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice he said it's the responsibility and the duty of the child of God who's been sanctified in spirit by the blood of the Lamb to present his body to God and to renew his mind so he can be transformed. So in other words, he is saying so that we can look more like Jesus, behave more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, to have what's on the inside to come to the outside. It's up to us to learn the word of God. It's up to us to renew our minds to the word of God. And as Paul did daily to present my body to God. I don't know about your body. My body needs to be presented to God every single day of my life. What about yours? Does your body act up every single day? Everybody's body is the same way. You can see the body's not redeemed yet. The body still has 
operating within it the law of sin and death. Now we can rise up above that, praise God, by our faith in the law of the spirit of life, but basically every single one of us is living in a fallen body that really doesn't want to harmonize with the will of God. It wants to do its own thing. If it's allowed to, it will do its own thing. When it gets angry, it wants to lash out in anger. When it gets jealous, it wants to lash out in jealousy. When it, wants to, when it feels it should un, be unforgiving, it becomes bitter and unforgiving. It wants to do its own thing. If it feels violated, it wants to violate back. We know that. That's how the body is. Paul said he saw to it that he beat up his body every day. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I beat up my body every day. Why? Because I want to win the prize. I want the goal. I want the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to be set aside because I refuse to do something with my body. Beloved, if we don't do something with our body, nobody will do something with our body. I was watching this one little show one time and I forget what it was, but some, some individual was sitting on a couch and she was on the phone. She says, what are you doing? She says, I'm exercising. And then some trainer walked in and started exercising and she was just watching them exercise. That was her exercise. Think about that. It's up to us to make this body do what we want it to do to exercise ourselves in the things of God, not sit back and watch as others do it, but it's up to us to say, this is my body, and I present it to you this morning, Father, in the name of Jesus. You know my body wants to do what it wants to do, but you know what? I want empowered for it to do what you want my body to do. I want it to go where you want it to go. I want it to speak what you want it to say. I want to act the way you want it to act, and so on and so forth. And I know that I can't do these things in my own strength. So, Father, I draw from your power. I draw from the resources of your spirit. I believe you're greater in me than he that's in this world. And I'm believing right now for endowment with power from on high that will equip me and empower me and enable me to be the person you want me to be. So I give you my body. Number three, it's permanent. Boy, if this one doesn't get you off your pew and shouting from the mountaintop, then nothing will. Go buy yourself a new shouter. It is permanent. It's positional. It's progressive. But there's also a permanency to sanctification. Oh, praise God. I want you to see something here in Romans chapter 8. This occurs when we are glorified. You see, when we're saved, the spirit man is dealt with. And then progressively, we become more like Jesus and we're sanctified as we learn the word and are changed and transformed from glory to glory. And that's why we're living now on this earth. It, it involves the mind and the body of a man. Or a woman. But thirdly, now we have glorification of the body. Because the creature itself shall also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, what does he yet hope for? 
So let's put this all together. Do you know all of creation was affected by the fall of man? And do you know that all of creation is crying out, travailing and groaning? Because all of creation wants to be as it was supposed to be in the very beginning. Crying out, whether it's a tornado, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's a this, whether it's a that, whether it's a heat wave, and everything was affected by the fall of man. Sin had a devastating effect upon everything that God had created on this planet. And so it's crying out, it's groaning and travailing for the change for the new heavens and the new earth. But then he went and said, but it's not just all the creation. We're the highest of God's creation. And you see, he took this body and he made it from the dust of the earth. And when he made this body from the dust of the earth, as far as he was concerned, it is precious in his sight. You're going to notice this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that this body that we live in is not fit for the kingdom of God. But guess what? He doesn't cast it aside and, and just get rid of it and leave it. Let it go back to the earth and stay there. He doesn't do that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit in corruption. He's talking about your physical body is not fit for the kingdom of God. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised. Wherever that body is at, it's not staying there. It is going to be changed. It's going to be raised. Okay? It shall be, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible that we're living in right now must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? You thought you held my body forever. You thought you would keep it in your grips. You thought it would stay there in that tomb. You thought it would stay there in, in the, wherever you have. If it was ashes, if it's in the sea, or wherever it is, that physical body. You thought death that you conquered. You thought you won. Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he is saying is that the full effects of sin and death have been conquered by Jesus Christ. And even though right now while we're living in this body, we're still not experiencing the glorified state. But the day is going to come where we will be sanctified permanently and never again have any dealings with sin or death. It's been overcome by the precious blood and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And once this body is glorified, never will it ever experience the effect of sin or death. Glory be to God. Look at the next word. What's that word? Therefore. Therefore. Because of all this, my beloved brethren, notice this. Be steadfast unmovable, 
Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not vain that you're here tonight. It's not vain that you put forth the effort to come here tonight. It's not vain that you witness to somebody. It's not vain that you keep your body under control. It's not vain you keep a watch over your lips like David said. Keep watch at the door of my lips. He said that. It's not vain that we would control our temper. It's not vain that we wouldn't give place to anger and go to bed and let the sun go down upon our wrath. None of that is vain that we walk in love and live by faith and declare the good works of God. It's not in vain that we tell other people that are out there, you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. None of that is in vain because we're a vessel of honor of the Most High God. Hallelujah. And one day we'll be removed from this body into a glorified body. It's the same one, but it'll be glorified and forever sanctified and set apart from anything the devil or the kingdom of darkness has up their sleeves. Oh, can you say amen to that? So, sanctification under point B is a work of the Word and the Spirit. It's a work of the Word and of the Spirit. Look at John 17, 17 through 19. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified, how? Through the truth. What does he mean? He means that the word provides the instructions. And that the spirit provides the power, is what he means. So in other words, I wouldn't even know what's right and what's wrong if I didn't have God's word. If he said in his word, these are six things I hate and seven are abomination to me, then guess what? When I read that and he says, lying lips, a false look, etc., etc., pride, a prideful, if all those things offend him, then guess what? I've now been educated. I have the instructions. I'm staying away from that stuff. I'm not going to give in to pride or arrogance in that sort of thing. I'm going to humble myself before Almighty God that he might lift me up. So as I look at myself and I just say, well, you know what, Lord, I see some issues here. I've got to deal with these issues because I have read your word and you said certain things that I should do and certain things I should not do. So therefore, I've been instructed. I know I'm be sanctified by the truth that's in your word. But you know what, Lord, I need empowerment to do it. So I need you by the power of your Holy Spirit, praise God, to quicken this word. Remember David said, quicken me according to the word quicken me make me alive make it a living entity a reality in my life I, have you ever done this you put out a, a new year's resolution it lasted one week because you didn't have the power to see it through to the end when we see a truth from God's word and we say I'm looking into the mirror of God's word I see what he looks like. I see what he acts like. I see what he does. I see how he speaks, how he treats people. I see Jesus in this manner. Change me, Lord. Change me. Change me. Empower me to do what your word declares I should do. I receive that power from on high and stay with it until we're changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Look at um, the next one. See, sanctification was the goal of Paul's missionary endeavors and outreaches or efforts. Did you know that? Look at Romans 15, and you'll see it here. This is from the English Standard Version. This was the goal that he set. He didn't just want to get people saved. Mm -mm, he wanted to get them saved and sanctified. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by what 
by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So what was the ultimate goal? Sanctification is obedience by word and deed to Jesus Christ. That's what he says sanctification is. So he wanted them saved, but also sanctified, saved, coming to Jesus, but then also being taught the word so that they could be obedient to do what God has called them to do. So he calls that sanctification. And then finally, and this one just rose up in me as I was uh, meditating on this. Sanctification is complete when all three dimensions of a man is freed from the effects of sin. All three dimensions of man are completely freed from the effects of sin. Sin affected man's relationship with God. That's been restored, thank God. We're reconciled. Sin affected the way a man thinks. And if you don't think that's true, look at our culture today. We've gone off the deep end. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable the way men think. Actually, it's, it would be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. That you can't say you're having a boy or a girl, you're having a baby, and wait till it's old enough to identify itself as to whether or not it's a boy or a girl. Now, if that's not off the deep end, I don't know what is. Okay, this is deception. It's utter deception. Boy, minds need to be renewed. It's when sin once again, is no longer contaminating the spirit of a man because you've been born again. It's when sin is not affecting the mind of a man. Man's mind does not think like God thinks. The soul is restored and renewed. James says, we need to set aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and be delivered from our corrupt reasoning faculties. Every single one of us is corrupt in our way of thinking. And we cannot think correctly until we get renewed in our mind by the word of God. But one day, sin will be gone. The effects of sin will be gone. We won't have a thought in our mind that would dishonor the way of God, the purpose of God whatsoever. Isn't that good to know? And then the body, once again, will no longer be under the power of sin on that day when we are glorified and reunited with spirit and soul. I want you to see this. In the beginning, spirit, soul, and body were all affected. But in the resurrection, at the time of the rapture, spirit born again, soul renewed. We know as we are known. We see as we are seen, praise God, in, in glory. And then as we're up there, Maybe being more educated by Jesus, Andrew asked me one time, he says, when we get to heaven, will Jesus teach us? I said, I hope so. And I believe he will be our teacher when we get there. Okay, so we're going to learn some things when we get there from the master himself. 
And then we're just waiting, waiting after the seven-year period. At the end of the seven-year period, guess what? We come and meet our body halfway, and we come together once and for all throughout eternity, completely separated from sin in spirit, in soul, and body. And we're a whole once again, as Adam was in the very beginning. And that will usher us into eternity. So, um, let's conclude it by... Number four, the vessel of honor is useful for the master. And this verse is 2 Timothy 2.21. Look at these two verses, two translations, what they say. If a man therefore purge himself from these, this is something we do. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared for unto every good work. But look at the um, ESV translation. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Do you want to be a vessel that's usable? Sure, we all should want to be a vessel that's usable. Well, you know what? God's glorious power is holy. And he wants to manifest it in holy vessels. And so as we make a decision to say, I'm going to live my life the way God wants me to live my life. He'll visit you from on high. Now, what do we need to achieve this goal? Two things. We need instructions and we need Holy Ghost power. Well, Psalm 92 gives us some enlightenment. Notice what David said in verse 10. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. We need fresh oil and we need fresh bread every day. Fresh oil and fresh bread. Do you get that? Fresh oil, the anointing, the power, the might of God, the endure power, and fresh bread, the word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. And you put these two powerful forces together in the life of a believer, and I'll tell you what, you've got a vessel of honor that's ready to be used by the Lord. Now, in conclusion, every single one of us has this calling upon our lives. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. Notice in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2, and verses 12 and 13 from the Amplified Bible. This kind of summarizes the whole thing and puts it all together. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength. There's the key. For it's God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? He gives us the mandate and then he provides the power, the equipping, all that we need to carry it out. So it's up to us to do exactly what he said do. Work it 
that's on the inside that God put in us to the outside, which is complete sanctification. Let's all stand together before the Lord.